Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Luke chapter 16. We're back in our series through the Gospel of Luke, and Luke 16 verses 14 to 18 is where we are this morning. Let me read that for us this morning. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, meaning Jesus. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Um, a number of years ago, my wife Natalie and I, and along with Jackie, you were with us as well, we traveled to Hawaii and to visit our good friends Steve and Chanel. Now, in the midst of what seems like a never-ending winter, this story seems almost a little unfair. But we were there, beautiful sunshine, great beaches, and we were driving, trying to look for a nice beach to spend the day at. And we came across one that was unoccupied. There was no one there, beautiful sand, the water looked gorgeous, so we parked the car, we unloaded, we sat down on the beach, and me and Steve, we took a little bit longer, we took our time because we wanted to eat our food, just chat, but the ladies didn't want to wait for us, so they rushed to the water. Next thing we know, there's screams, and uh, for us, it's a little hard to distinguish whether they're having fun or if they're in danger when screams like that come about. But we look, and the next thing is, we see two of them dragging Natalie out of the water, and then all of a sudden, they're being sucked back in, and, and then they somehow make it out. And me and Steve are just watching, because we're still unsure what's happening. Are they having fun? But then a lifeguard comes with an ATV, rushes in, rescues them, and says, you know, this is actually a pretty dangerous spot. This, that's why no one is here. And we're like, that, that makes sense. And he says, you know, you should probably go somewhere else because the water would be able to pull you in too far and it would be danger to your life. In the same way that that water would be a danger to us and is not something to be played with, in this passage we see Jesus telling us that pride isn't something that's static. Pride isn't something that should be trifled with. Pride is not something that you should play with because it pulls you in and leads you to do things that you would never imagine. That in fact, it is dangerous. Pride is something that you should run from. And humility is the thing that you should run to. 
That's why the title of today's message is Pride Destroys Lives and Humility Leads to Life. That's actually the big takeaway for this morning, that if there's one thing that you receive from this message, it's that, that pride destroys lives and humility leads to life. In this passage, Luke lets us in on a conversation between Jesus and some really prideful people, the Pharisees. Look with me again at verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. See, Jesus has just finished teaching, and he's teached, look back at verse 1, he also said to the disciples, Jesus was teaching the disciples, and kind of like the mosquito on a hot summer's day that you can't seem to shake, the Pharisees are still on Jesus. They're following him around. Even though Jesus hasn't addressed them since chapter 14, they're, they're still following him around, trying to listen in, eavesdropping, to find a way to trap Jesus. And this time, when they hear Jesus teaching the disciples, do you see their reaction? Verse 14, they ridiculed him. This idea of ridiculing is the idea of mocking, scoffing, literally meaning they're turning up their nose at Jesus. They're openly laughing at Jesus. They're making a scene. They're making sure everyone can hear them laughing at Jesus and the teaching that Jesus has offered the disciples. See, the hatred of the Pharisees towards Jesus is ever-evolving. Back in chapter 14, they invite Jesus over for dinner under the pretense of just having him over for a meal, but they're really seeking to trap him. In, verse, in chapter 15, they start grumbling at the teaching of Jesus, but now they've gone further than that, and now they're openly mocking him. See, the Pharisees hear Jesus. They hear the teaching, but they aren't receiving it. They aren't actually listening to Jesus. See, this provides us of a, a great life principle. There's a huge difference between hearing and listening. There's a big difference between hearing and receiving, whether it be between a boss and an employee, between friends, between leaders and members of a church, between parents and their children. There's a huge difference between hearing and truly listening. People and organizations get into conflict because they aren't truly listening. Words are being said, sound waves are making it into the ear canal, but nothing is truly being received. See, the Pharisees are prideful. And because of that, they hear a word from the living word and it never gets to the heart. Their example also instructs us, though, when it comes to sitting under the teaching of God's word. See, the Pharisees and the disciples, they've heard the exact same teachings, but only one group received the teaching. And those who received, they let the words of Jesus settle into their heart, and it resulted in change. It resulted in fruit. It produced change in their life, and so they pressed in. But the Pharisees aren't like that. They don't receive Jesus. In fact, they reject him, and it leads them to ridicule him. So now Jesus, kind of done with all of them, now exposes their pride and shows the fruit of their pride and what it has produced in their life. So Jesus shows them what pride has produced in their life. And the question we should be asking is, what does Jesus show? 
What does Jesus show that pride produces in the life of a person? Well, pride leads to living a double life. Pride leads to living a double life. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is, a, is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, if you were somehow able to travel back in time and to have the opportunity to speak to a first century Jew and ask them the question, who among you observes the law and knows the law the best? And without hesitation, all of them would have answered the Pharisees because the Pharisees had the reputation of being experts in the law and being strict in their obedience of the law. But Jesus calls them out in verse 15, but God knows your hearts. See, it was just surface level obedience. They didn't actually love God. They wanted the praise that came from men. They justified themselves before men. See, this is a, a serious warning for us and a caution because it tells us that we can front an image. We go to church every week. We help distribute the boxes of hope. We celebrate the successes of others publicly. We attend all the Bible studies and in prayer meetings, we're confessing and making requests. But God knows the heart. God knows the sins that we've committed. The sins that we plan on committing and want to commit. He knows our grumbling in the secret of our, of our present circumstances. He knows the desire that we have to be praised by our peers. He knows the jealousy that we are harboring against a brother or sister. He knows the anger that we have been storing up. He knows the sense of superiority over others that we serve with. He knows our hearts. But the same truth that cautions us also comforts us. God knows our hearts. That's why he's never surprised. You will never catch him off guard. He is not surprised by what is in our hearts. He, in fact, knows and he then calls us to agree with him in, our, in his assessment of our hearts. So there's no point in hiding. There's no point in continuing to pretend in fact, God calls us to be honest with others and with God, and he calls us then to come before him, to confess, to repent, to run for him for help and deliverance. And when we do, we will find mercy and grace. God knows the heart. And so Jesus, he looks past the outward image of righteousness and obedience and religiosity that the Pharisees have. And he looks into the heart and he sees the Pharisees for who they are. And Luke lets us in, verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. See, the Pharisees thought that they, like Adele said, could have it all. See, my, my music taste isn't as developed as Marv's, so I'm, I'm drawing for, from a shallower bank there. But they thought that they could earn God's favor by obeying God's law and therefore having outward obedience and justifying themselves before men while also treasuring the things of this world. That's what Jesus says. He calls them saying, you, you treasure the things that are exalted among men. 
They wanted prominence. They wanted wealth. They wanted comfort. But Jesus has already told us in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Look at it with me again. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus has already told us you can't do that. It's impossible. Now, what does that mean for us then? It means this, that Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. He will have no rival. That he says there's only room for one master in your heart. You cannot serve God and blank. You fill that in. Jesus says that anything that we love other than or more than him will actually drive us away from him. There's not room for two masters. Jesus tells us to try and to do both is not only prideful, but foolish. Look at the end of verse 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God says that it's, that it's disgusting, that he turns away from it. The Pharisees, the, the pride in the lives of the Pharisees led them to claim that they loved God when they really loved money. And God therefore rejects them for living this double life. Now, when we hear that, many, if not all of us, when we hear that, we get discouraged. And I'm going to be honest, in, in writing this message, I got discouraged too, because like the Pharisees, we see and we know things in our own lives that don't match the things that we say we believe. We don't live up to our words. So it's easy to be discouraged. But there's two responses. You can be like the Pharisees and in your pride, you keep pretending and living in hypocrisy. Or you take the humble route and you confess your need for ongoing forgiveness and grace. Because we know we will never live up to our words this side of heaven. But Christ has. But Christ has. And he does. And this is the encouragement. We are all growing. No one has reached and no one has arrived. But in humility, as we depend on the power of the Spirit, we will become more and more like Jesus. We will do the things that we say we believe. We will see that gap closing. And our ultimate hope, our future hope is this, that when we do see Christ in glory, there will be a day when we see Christ in glory, we will be made like him. And when we are made like him, there will be perfect consistency between what we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths, and do with our lives. There will be a day when that will be true. And we look forward to that with great anticipation. And until that day, we keep working in dependency on the Spirit. Now, Jesus keeps going. Look at verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Pride leads to blindness to what God is doing. Pride leads to, what, to blindness to what God is doing. Not only does it lead to living a double life, but it blinds you to God's work in the world. 
See, when the, the scripture, when Luke here talks about the law and the prophets, we understand that to be the Old Testament scriptures. See, the Pharisees were experts of the law and the prophets, but because of their pride, they were blind to the whole point of the Old Testament scriptures. See, from the very beginning, all of the scriptures pointed forth in its images, symbols, prophecies, and promise to the coming of the Messiah, and that's Jesus. That's why Jesus, later in Luke, in chapter 24, beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the offspring that would bless the nations. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the servant who would give his life as a ransom for many. See, this is the good news that Jesus says that him and John have been preaching, that the promises have been fulfilled, the Savior has appeared, and when he appears, like Titus says, he saves us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He does what the law couldn't do, he does what the Pharisees devoted in their, in their life to trying to achieve. They couldn't. Jesus offers it to us in his grace and mercy, not by works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He alone offers us real salvation. And those who in humility come to him receive it by faith. See, salvation is there in flesh before the very eyes of the Pharisees, but they can't see it. Their pride has blinded them. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you don't miss what God is doing right in front of you. See, the promises of God are being fulfilled before their very eyes. And like Sam Renahan says, see, the food has arrived, but they're more than happy to keep looking at the menu. The food has arrived, but they're happy to just satisfy their eyes by the pictures that are on the menu. Here's how that instructs us. In the same way that the Pharisees are blind to what God is doing, because of our expectations and pride, we can be blind to what God is doing. See, what we perceive in our lives as discomfort, in reality, God is using to build our eternal treasure in heaven. What we perceive as a difficult person in our life, in reality, God is using them for our sanctification. In what we perceive as meaningless suffering and pain, in reality, God is using to grow us in our sympathy for others so that we can offer the comfort that we have received from God. In what we perceive as unfulfilled longings, Whatever those might be, in reality, God is using them to grow our persistence in prayer and our delight in Jesus Christ. Don't miss what God is doing right before your eyes because you are blinded by pride. Instead, if we humble ourselves and we submit to his word with the Spirit's help, our perception can actually come in line with reality. We can actually see what God is doing before us, and then we can begin to enjoy it. See, not only does pride lead the Pharisees then to blindness to what God is doing, 
and to what God's purposes were in his word. Pride leads to tampering with the scriptures. Pride leads to tampering with the scriptures. See, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that though all of the Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in him, you can't get rid of it. You can't toss it out. Look at verse 17. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. See, Jesus is telling us here the attitude that we should have when it comes to our Bibles. See, every dot, this is Jesus' way of saying the crossing of your T's and the dotting of your I's, every punctuation mark is from God. It lasts forever. Jesus is telling us that every part of scripture is God's word. It is breathed out by him and it endures forever. This is the doctrine of divine inspiration. Jesus is also telling us don't miss this, that because it is all God's word, it continues to reveal to us. Even when its purposes have been fulfilled in Christ, it continues to reveal to us God's will for us. For the believer, the law no longer serves to condemn us because in Christ, we've been justified. We stand before the Father as those who have a righteousness not of our own, but of his own son. The law no longer serves to condemn, but it still instructs us. See, God never changes. His nature never changes. His character never changes. Therefore, his commands and his will expressed in his word, as long as it is tied to his holy character, never changes. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, that no matter how much the culture, how much the world, how much definitions and technology changes, However much all of that progresses, God's demands for us, God's demands for holiness, faithfulness, and righteousness never changes. So we hold fast. We hold fast in a culture that is ever pushing forth, knowing that God's will never changes. We can't add to it, and we can't take away from it. God calls us to obey it. We obey his unchanging word, but we obey not like the Pharisees trying to earn our own salvation. We obey in response to the kindness that he has showed us in Christ. But the Pharisees didn't live this way. In fact, they were the opposite. Though they were experts in the law and the scriptures, they still tampered with it. See, they added to the scriptures. They added things to it. This is called legalism. They made it hard for others to follow the word. But in adding to the scripture, in fact, they actually messed up with it and tampered with the law. See, this is what Phil Riken says about this. See, this is what legalism always does. It makes a great show of keeping the law, but in fact, it ends up destroying the law. Because when the law is preserved in all of its perfections, it's too demanding for sinners to keep. The only way we can possibly keep it is by finding a way to lower God's standards. Legalism actually ends up leading to tampering with the scriptures. See, the area of marriage and divorce was a big way that the Pharisees did this. See, the Pharisees at the time, the, the large 
large majority of the thought between them understood that, that, the, that men could divorce their wives for any reason. That they, if they found that dinner has been burnt or if they saw another woman as more attractive, they thought that that was enough grounds to divorce their wife. See, they took God's word, which was very specific, and then they tampered with it to suit their own culture and their own desires. That's, that's the context into which Jesus then says in verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, full disclosure, this verse doesn't communicate all that the Bible says concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage. You'd have to go into the rest of the scriptures for that. But what Jesus does say in this verse is that he upholds the sanctity of marriage and the family. He also tells us God's design and intention for marriage, that it's a sacred covenant between one man, one woman for one lifetime. See, what Jesus is making it clear, using this as an example, is that God's will hasn't changed. God's desires for us in his word are still in line with his holy character. He doesn't change, and therefore his commands and his will for our lives do not change. Not just in the area of marriage, but the whole law. Remember, not one dot of the law will go void. But the prideful, they ignore it, and then they tamper with God's word. But the Bible warns us, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's why we started off with this. Pride destroys lives and humility leads to life. Because in pride, you place yourself in direct opposition to the God of the universe. That's not gonna end well. Now I showed you pride. Let me quickly show you the humble response. Verse 16 again. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. See, though the Pharisees, because of their pride, they were blind to what God was doing, the repentant, the sinners and the tax collectors who were coming to Jesus in humility, they see what Jesus is doing. And then they force their way in. Sons, you can come on up. See, when someone truly receives the good news of the kingdom that Jesus has proclaimed, the repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They will do anything to come in. When the humble see what Jesus offers in his mercy and grace to undeserving sinners, they will do anything to come into the kingdom. Like the campers who are outside the Apple store the night before Black Friday and they're pressing in on the doors, those who see what Jesus offers will do anything to come in to the kingdom. They see the urgency. They see the need to deny themselves and to come to Jesus. And when they do, the humble find life. Pride destroys lives, but humility leads to life. Now the pride of the Pharisees, 
not only resulted in the loss of their own lives, because they were unable to come into the kingdom. They couldn't see what God was doing, but it led them to take the life of the author of life. Their grumbling that evolved into ridicule would eventually evolve into murder. But remember, pride destroys lives, but humility leads to life. The author of life humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And by his humility, he provided life to all who would give their lives to follow him. Jesus would use the very evil that the Pharisees planned in their pride to then supply everlasting life to all who would come to him. And when we, those who by the Spirit have been humbled and we see the gift of grace that Christ offers us, we will do anything to come in. But here's the good news. You don't have to do anything. Christ has done it all. All we have to do is to receive Jesus in faith, to trust in the gospel, to receive the grace that he freely offers, and then he invites us to come in to the kingdom of God. Pride destroys lives, and humility leads to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you teach us and how you instruct us and, and how you call us out. But you do so all because in your grace, you want us to come to you. So we pray that this morning that you would grow us in humility, that we would come to you as those who aren't holding on to ourselves or the things that we desire, but come willingly to you that we will do anything to come into the kingdom and that you in your grace would receive us. Pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.